So my first two and a half years racing, I was still active duty before I transitioned from active duty to reserves. In uh, this middle of 2017, about eight, or sorry, May of 2017, I transitioned to uh, to the reserves. So being able to balance, you know, racing and reserves and racing and or even active duty, um, you know, it's, it's definitely tough. You know, it has its hard times. While I was active duty, luckily at that time, the series that I was racing in were only racing on Saturdays. So I really wasn't missing much work at all. I would basically fly out on Friday evening after work, go race on Saturday, fly back home on Sunday, be back at work Monday morning. Now in the reserves, all my reserve weekends are on weekends. So sometimes those race weekends are happening on the same reserve weekend. So I've had it where, you know, I have to drill on Saturday and Sunday, but I was racing on Friday. One time I raced on Friday at Vegas and then drove six hours to San Diego to make it in time for drill for uh, Saturday and Sunday. So. Hey everybody, it's Jonathan. You know, <laughs> you know, I can't even do that introduction. I was on a, uh, I was on a cruise one time and, uh, and this, uh, this Latino guy, he was like a, uh, a flamboyant version of, of like Pitbull. He would come over the, uh, the loudspeaker every morning at like seven 30 and he'd be like, hello, my beautiful people. So I, I can't even say hello people now without that just ringing in my ears. But, uh, anyway, where was I? Oh yeah. Hey, how you doing? John Kleck here with another episode of the Greencastle podcast. Uh, today we have on Jesse Awuji, uh, one of only two African-American drivers in the entire sport of NASCAR. Uh, pretty awesome accomplishment by itself, but especially in the times we're living in now, we're going to talk about uh, diversity, inclusion, equality, but we're also going to talk about just his, his path to getting there. Uh, I don't know too many professional athletes uh, I especially don't know too many professional athletes who started their professional athlete career while they were still on active duty. That's right. Jesse started driving NASCAR on weekends while he was still on active duty in the Navy. Uh, this guy's incredible. He's still a currently serving Naval officer in the reserves. In addition to, uh, to driving NASCAR on the weekends, how this guy manages it. I have no idea, but he's awesome. Uh, you don't have to know anything about NASCAR. I know very little about it. But I knew I do know an impressive story when I hear one. This guy wrecked his first six out of seven races. Uh, and, and one thing is it's just remarkable that he's still employed. But uh, but when you think about wrecking a NASCAR, you face death. You're talking about like tumbling cars, smoke, flames. Uh, and yet he still got back in the driver's seat every race thereafter. Uh, and he has he's had an incredible career since then. Really cool guy. Uh, really excited to talk to him. So uh, so stick around. You're going to want to hear this one. He's, he's, a, he's a super inspirational, uh, uh, just fantastic dude. This individuality stuff is a bunch of crap. There's a reason why. A master of innovation. The key to this growing is you. Any rational person would give up. I can't disagree with that. Make sure that we're not prisoners of our own experiences. You need a team of great people. We'll not tolerate a loser. What they need is a common vision. Helping organizations win one veteran at a time. This is the Greencastle Podcast. Jesse, thanks very much for making time for us. Uh, we are uh, a military-based organization. Everybody in our company is all veterans, so it's always cool to talk to another veteran, especially guys who are doing really cool, unique stuff out in the world. Um, let's get right into it. I, I think I want to talk uh, the the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Um, let's get right into it. You crashed your first six out of your, uh, out of your first seven races, how are you possibly still employed? I, I know, uh, mm -hmm. 
pizza delivery drivers who have messed up their first two out of their three orders and have been fired. You crashed six out of seven times. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> it happened. I mean, that was what, five years ago or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, it happened. It was, it, and the thing is, it's not that I lost control of the race car and crashed by myself all six times. What happened, half the time was I was getting hit by someone or someone crashed in front of me and I got tangled up in it. And the like two or three times were just like things that were just my fault. It just happened. Um, but it happens in NASCAR. I mean, if you look at any driver's record every year, every driver has wrecks, you know, multiple of them. Usually drivers will have anywhere from three to three to six or seven or so wrecks every year. It just, it just happens. Um, so um, since then I was like, you know what, like there, it's going to be hard to, for me to, like, I can't stop someone from wrecking me. You know, if something happens and I get caught up in it, I get caught up in it. It's happened before. But what I can stop is me making mistakes so that I don't cause a wreck myself. So, um, you know, I, uh, you know, go from right after that point, after my first year, I think I went like 36, 37 races without a single wreck, not even getting caught up in someone else's or me, you know, you know, causing my own stuff to wreck. So, um, I just figured a few things out and learned how to keep clean. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge sports guy. I, I'm, I'm not a, I, I was never a NASCAR guy growing up, but there's something in what you said there that for people who are sports guys like me that, you know, I watch a little bit of NASCAR. I'm not a huge NASCAR guy, but there's something very uh, mind blowing in what you said. And it's, I went 36 wrecks without, or 36 races without wrecking. And we're talking about racing 200 and plus miles an hour um, in a vehicle with, with, you know, dozens of other vehicles. And you're like, yeah, I went 36 without having like a, uh, <laughs> without Any facing, yeah. without facing death. Yeah. Uh, for I don't know how many guys in uh, in in curling uh, say that you know I went 36 matches without facing death or in other professional sports like I you know <laughs> I was in baseball and I and uh, you know I went 36 baseball games without uh, facing you know imminent death. What yeah. um, you're you're a, a Naval Academy graduate. You're currently serving reservist. Uh, you're currently serving reservist and a professional athlete. Um, you're, you're amongst, uh, you're amongst very limited company. Uh, uh, Joe Cardona, the long snapper for, for the Patriots. There's a, there's only a few random other guys that are professional athletes and still serving reservists. Um, uh, give us a sense of, of, uh, the challenge that you face just, just in that realm, being both, uh, a reservist as well as uh, a professional athlete. Yeah, so um, you know when I graduated from Naval Academy, at first I was active duty. I was active duty for my uh, seven years. Um, I was on two different ships. Um, both those ships, I deployed to Arabian Gulf with both of them. Um, when I went on, yeah, one of those two deployments, spent about 15 total months in the Arabian Gulf. And after I came back from my second deployment, that's really when I began that racing journey. Um, but I began it while also on active duty. So my first two and a half years racing. I was still active duty before I transitioned from active duty to reserves in uh, it was middle of 2017, about eight, or sorry, May of 2017, I transitioned to uh, to the reserves. So being able to balance, you know, racing and reserves and racing and or even active duty, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely tough. You know, it has its hard times. While I was active duty, luckily at that time, the series that I was racing in were only racing on Saturdays. So I really wasn't missing much work at all. I would basically fly out on Friday evening after work go race on Saturday, fly back home on Sunday, be back at work Monday morning. Now in the reserves, all my reserve weekends are on weekends. So sometimes those race weekends are happening on the same reserve weekend. So I've had it where, you know, I have to drill on Saturday and Sunday, but I was racing on Friday. 
one time I raced on Friday at Vegas and then drove six hours to San Diego to make it in time for a drill for uh, Saturday and Sunday. So it happens sometimes, but it's a balance, but it's something I, I took on and I wanted to do. And I wanted to show people that, you know, there's 24 hours in a day. You can do a lot of things. You can accomplish a lot. Don't limit yourself. I think that's a, I, I would assume it's a, it's a fair anomaly to say that an active duty guy is also finding his way into professional sports. By the way, I'm doing it part-time because my full-time day job is, is being a naval officer. And uh, my part-time gig is being a professional athlete. And now here you find yourself uh, do, doing the reverse, right? Now working yeah, a part-time yeah. job as a, as a naval officer, which every reservist, and, and I'm going to get crucified, but every reservist knows that it is not a part-time job. It's, uh, it's, the, it's the most full-time part-time job that, uh, that you could have. Yeah, yeah. Being in the reserves is definitely a very full-time-ish type, type job. It's weird because you would think, okay, yeah, just one week in a month, that's all I got to worry about. It's just these two days each month, that's it. And that's not even it. We have so many emails and things we got to do in between that time to get ready for the next month. And it's like, man, I might as well just be active duty again. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely a lot. And, and, and obviously not as much as active duty side, but we're still having to maintain all the same admin requirements, medical requirements, physical fitness requirements, all that stuff. And you can't just do every one of those things on just one weekend. That's like an all year round thing. So you're constantly having to do all the readiness type stuff without, I guess, working on a ship or being out in the field or whatever all year long. And that's, and that's working another part-time job that really only meets like you race on Sundays and you as a reserve is Fridays, Fridays right now. Or Fridays, Fridays right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a pretty, pretty incredible balancing act um, to, to do that. Um, uh, you come from, uh, you come from a very athletic family, right? Your, your sister ran track at Arkansas state. I think I read somewhere and both yeah. of your brothers played for Texas state played ball. Um, and, uh, and, and you drive a car. Do you, do you find, um, do you find that you struggle like to get out of their shadow, uh, <laughs> to, 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 as an athlete? Um, I'm no, kidding. not I'm really. We are, I mean, yeah, we all played, I mean, obviously you can see right here, played football, you know, ran track too. So, um, two sport athlete in high school and college. And, um, you know, it, they were, like coming up, they all knew that they wanted to go play college sports too. So my sister, you know, she got her scholarship for track. Both my brothers played football, and um, that, we all had good, uh, all had good careers. So it was cool to see everyone playing. I wish we would have played at the same place, but we didn't. Yeah, and, and you're very modest to say we all had good careers. You were uh, a highly recruited football player out of Texas. Got recruited, if and correct me if I'm wrong, you got recruited the Navy. Where you went as an as an as a as a Navy uh, as a sailor myself, I'm happy to say you beat army for four years, the four years you were yeah. there and air force and, air and force. beat Notre Dame twice. Oh, yeah. You graduated what? 2010, 2010. Yeah. 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 That's right. So the four years leading up. Yeah, that's right. And beat Notre Dame twice. Yeah. Twice. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> Hey, well, we may have just lost some army viewers, but whatever. As a, as a Navy guy, I, I had to, sh- I had to shamelessly put that <laughs> plug in. Um, but there, uh, so you were, you you're obviously your whole family's superb caliber athletes and, and, and you're no exception. Um, for folks that don't know about NASCAR and they go, Oh, you, it's, it's, you're driving a car. You're, I, I think this is, I, I really would be curious to hear from a guy who's on the inside, never spoken to a NASCAR driver before. Um, right. It's, it's not Tom Brady's arm that makes him a good quarterback. It's his ability to read the defense, change the play and know where his receivers are going to be. It, it's, 
in golf, right? It's golf is even not a, it's not a, a, a skill or a, a strength sport. It's the mental repetition and the ability to focus on very, very minute details. And, uh, and I think it's that mental challenge that for guys like myself who are, who are sports guys, uh, that mental challenge of, of athletics is what's really fascinating about the sport. Tell me a little bit about like, especially having been played at the, you know, at the, the uppermost levels of college athletics now being in a totally different sport. Tell me about a little bit about like that, that challenge. What is it that makes it just as challenging as, as playing football or, or anything else you may have done? Yeah, it's definitely challenging for sure. I mean, there's still, you know, physical stuff that you go through when you're in a race car, it's really, really hot in there. You know, how many people, um, sit inside a vehicle that's 130 to 150 plus degrees for hours and hours on end. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. And we go through that in a race car. Um, also going into the corners, a lot of G-forces being put on your body. Um, if you're not used to that kind of stuff, you will puke after a few laps because it's just so many horses. I mean, some people who, who, who get weird feelings in their stomach going on a roller coaster, imagine doing that for like two, three, four hours in a row over and over and over and over and over and then by the way while you're doing it someone else is trying to like pass you and get by you and they're trying to hit you and, and bump into you and things are happening and you're trying to control it and by the, in the roller coaster at least you don't have to control it you just got to sit there and let it take you the race car you got to control it and um so you're doing this over and over for hours on end it's super hot um you gotta think there's a lot of strategy with pit with pit um with pit stops uh you know your crew chief is always trying to manage the manage the race so that you know, you get tires put on at the right times or you're having fuel, uh, the right, right, right amount of fuel put in the right time. All these different things you got to manage during the race um, during, um, so that you have the right strategy so you can win. But it's not just only having the fastest car being the best driver. It's having the best strategy also. And even once you have the best strategy and let's say you have the best driver, you still got to have a really good, well-set-up car to be able to get out there on a racetrack and compete well and, um, and be able to run the whole race. So. Yeah, there's so much going on behind the scenes, way more than just driving in a circle, like people like to say. Yeah, right. And 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 it's an interesting point that you bring up because you talk about like that mental challenge, the exhaustion, competing against both a, an adversary, if you will, or other people, but also competing against the elements, your own elements, and, and trying to, to coordinate with a team. It's very much a team effort, right? It, if you watch, if you listen to any NASCAR drivers, they always talk about it. it's very much a team. You're not getting anywhere if you don't have a good pit crew. If you don't have a crew chief, you know, if you don't have good sponsors and, and just, and so you're just one, you're a very important cog in the wheel, but it really is a team effort. So, uh, I, again, at the risk of, of, of taking uh, an easy question, it, there, it seems like there's so many correlations to, uh, being in the military, managing a team, managing stress, managing chaos, being able to turn off that, that those distractions and focus on, on the mission at hand and, and the discomfort of being in a hot, sweaty boiler room in the bottom of a, of a ship or in a, uh, in a, a hot, sweaty car for hours. Uh, would, would you say that again, not, not disparaging any other drivers, but having been a, a military officer going through the crucible of the military, would you say that that has, that gave you a, a maybe not a leg up, but at least made you fairly competitive uh, just bringing that mental game in. It definitely helped me a lot coming in so that I could be able to um, come in at the level I came in at and be able to actually like somewhat compete with people um, and not just be like, oh my God, I'm like way out in that field. So um, yeah, that part definitely helps a lot. You know, being on a ship, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stresses, a lot of responsibilities on a ship. A lot of it's teamwork. I mean, when I'm, a, when I'm standing officer of the deck, you know, on the bridge, I know I can't do the whole thing myself. I know I'm in charge of everything. I know everything falls under my responsibility and under my watch. 
but I can't do it all myself. I've got to have a good team behind me. I've got to have a good conning officer, a good junior officer of the deck, a good um, quartermaster navigation team. My combat um, combat information center team, they have to be on point. I got to keep them on point. The folks down in the engine rooms, that makes sure that they're you know, keeping all our main engines and our auxiliary components, everything running properly and they're getting the right updates. So I know what's the status of our equipment. What do we have? What's up? What's down? All that stuff. Everyone has to do their part. Communication has to feed between all of the departments. It's the same thing in a race car. You know, my, my crew chief has to be feeding me the right information. I got to feed him the right information. My spotter up in the in, up in the stands has to, you know, be seeing all the right stuff and feeding me the right information so I stay out of trouble. Um, you know, all these people are talking to each other. Communication is happening so that we all come together. We put all our resources together, put all our energy together, and um, do it so that we can go out there and have a good finish. Yeah, and and the way you rattle that off, just the way you're able to rattle off, it, it shows that there's obviously – you know, you've obviously lived an experience that you can rattle it off so quickly and talk about those very different dynamics to a to managing a ship and, and the different aspects of the ship. Uh, and oh, yeah. I assume that it's it's a it is a not a, a an easy transition, but it makes it easier when you're used to managing a, a hundred different things that uh, that you can you can bring that to bear inside the in everything from reading the dials of the, the car to listening and communicating and, and everything else that comes with it. Um, so let, let's let's actually talk about uh, where we are today. Today, um, you're one of two African American drivers in the entire sport. Um, obviously, a lot of a lot of a lot of things going on in uh, in 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 the world today. Dealing with you know the the world becoming hopefully moving towards a more equitable uh, 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 world, right? A, a more a more equitable society. Um, a lot of lot of stuff going on with Bubba Wallace, your your the other uh, the other African American driver in the community. Um, you're very vocal about it on social media. Um, so is Bubba. For, uh, for as a as a military officer, right? Uh, I, I think uh, would it be fair to say you, you've been exposed to um, a, a very good example of how to maximize the diversity of a team, right? I mean, that's, that's, if we do anything well as in the military, I'm, I'm still a Navy reservist. If we do anything well, it's maximizing the diversity of, of our experiences and, and our perspectives and the backgrounds that we bring um, for a, uh, an industry, for a sport that has traditionally been a white fan base, white drivers, um, now having an opportunity with you and Bubba representing, hey, a, a different audience, a different lens, a different perspective. What uh, what could the industry do, or what, what could the sport do, or what what could they do better uh, to to really tap into a more diverse audience and and a more diverse fan base? Yeah, um, I think right now you know NASCAR is doing a lot to really tap into that diverse fan base. They're doing different things to just trying to make the sport um, feel more inclusive. Um, they are, uh, you know, they, they banned the Confederate flag, which was huge. Yeah. I'm glad they did that. The military is doing it also, which is great. Um, but, um, you know, other things, too, just to make it feel more inclusive so that we can get a more colorful crowd. You know, yes, you know, it's been majority white fans for a long, long time. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having white fans, but we need other fans, too. And I feel like other people want to be fans. They just didn't feel like they could be there. They didn't feel like they were almost allowed or included there. As much as people want to say, oh, no, you know, you can come. There's no issues. Well, we had to get rid of some of the things that make people feel a little bit uncomfortable, like the Confederate flag. You know, I'm pretty sure if we were in Germany and we were at some, you know, sports event and 
uh, everyone was flying Nazi flags around. I didn't think, you know, Jewish people would really like to come to the event, you know? <laughs> so um, it's the same thing here, you know, at the end of the day, there's only one flag here. That's the U.S. flag, the Confederate flag. That's the flag of the losing nation that we beat. So they're gone. They're out of here. Like, why are we still flying? We need to learn about it for sure. Keep it in the history books. Definitely learn about it in school, but that's the only place we need to see it. We don't need to be seeing it flying around on the back of people's trucks, you know, military bases that um, NASCAR events or wherever. So um, NASCAR is doing different things just to help. And then, you know, they're, they're definitely doing a lot of, um, um, I would say, community outreach type things where, you know, they have a diversity team that's going out in the community, trying to bring NASCAR in the community, trying to bring um, more, uh, more minorities from different, like, communities. Uh, like major cities and stuff like that to the tracks just so they can experience a NASCAR event. At the end of the day, it's hard to like it if you never experienced it. Right. So giving them that for, uh, that first time experience definitely gets people hooked in. They love it after that and they want to come back. They want to keep watching it. Um, so the more we can just keep doing that, every single track we go to, let's give it to the communities, let's bring NASCAR to people, let's bring them to NASCAR and let's keep it going. And at the end of the day, in this country, the only way for us to rise is we have to, we have to unite. You know, united will rise, but divided will fall. So like, let's stop the division. Like, let's bring everyone together, no matter what color, what age, what gender, whatever it is. Um, let's come together as one, and and we can really get past these troubling times that we're going through right now. You you mentioned getting into going into the tracks and then getting into the cities um, for you know for kids in urban America, black, white, or, or whatever. You probably represent something that they haven't seen like well, a, a a black driver in this sport. Wow, that's like that's he's he is tearing down walls. Does that come with a pressure as well? Does it come up with a pressure to to represent the sport or to 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 represent uh, uh the black community either within the sport or to represent the sport in the community? Is there is there pressure that comes with that? Um, there's a little bit of pressure. I never saw it as that. Um, I knew I always would represent the African-American community just because it's obvious I'm African-American. So I figured I was always represented. That was, there's no pressure on that. I, I mean, but the more, more of the pressure is um, for me, it's like I can never quit because there's a lot of people looking up to me who, who came from where I came from, who um, maybe didn't have a lot to begin with, who were trying to make it, who don't come from like a wealthy family or this and that, or maybe mom and dad can't support their racing goals because it's expensive. Um, I'm coming from all that. Like I didn't have all that to help me get through. So I'm, I'm, I'm basically living out the dreams of a lot of people and showing them that it's possible. And, and a lot of people are looking up to this and they want to be the next one, you know? So um, for me, I'm just doing my best to show people that, Hey, no matter what, no matter where you come from, you can make it in life, whatever you want to do, just watch what I'm doing. Um, I'll make it to where I want to go. And, and hopefully you'll, you'll take that step and you'll start going after what you want to go to, go, go to also. So um, yeah, doing everything I keep everyone's hopes and dreams alive. That's the biggest thing. It's interesting. I said, is there pressure? And you said, no, I'm just trying to uh, help keep other people's hopes and dreams alive. That's a, <laughs> that's, that's a, uh, that's a pretty modest uh, answer for a guy who's also said, Oh, by the way, I'm trying to keep everybody else's hopes and dreams alive who, who have these aspirations. <laughs> and, and that's a, that's a, that's a cool reflection of both your modesty, but, but also uh, your your ability to lead, and I, I think I, I like to think that's a good reflection of uh, not just your family background, but but uh, you know what what the Navy, uh, what what the military officer party you, you brings to the table as well. Um, I, I know you're uh, you're on borrowed time here, so I I, I don't want to uh, out of respect for your time, I want to keep it uh, um, within. Uh, I'll I'll wrap it up fairly shortly, but um, the other side to to NASCAR that again, as a guy who's really just becoming more aware of the uh, of the industry, um, 
is there's a whole separate sponsorship side and there's a business side to NASCAR. And I know you have a, you, you own your own business on the side as well. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, and, and for people who know NASCAR, but really maybe don't know that side of it. I mean, there's everything from trying to get exposure and trying to get sponsorships. And I mean, you can see in the picture over your left shoulder there, just the, the, the uniform is just riddled with, with sponsorships because that's <laughs> part of the business, right? That's part of the business is getting, it's a very expensive business to run. Uh, more expensive when you crash six cars, but uh, it's a but it's an expensive. So can you talk to us a little about like that, the business side of it, and then maybe just uh, how your leadership uh, has, how that, what, where you struggle and, and where you've been successful and maybe where you've stumbled along the way and, and what's uh, um, just where your background and your experience has helped you succeed. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely it's, uh, the sponsorship part is really tough because what you got to figure out with the sponsorship side is it's not like okay because I'm a race car driver automatically companies are just going to sponsor me. Hey, sponsor me because I'm a race car driver. No, it doesn't work like that. And they companies have a lot of different ways they can spend their marketing dollars to get marketing. Maybe 20, 30 years ago, there all these different avenues were a lot less. So maybe sponsorship of race a uh, racing driver was definitely just an easy pick. But nowadays, they have so many different options. You now have to convince them that, hey, your, how many of your marketing dollars you have, um, some of them are best spent on me. This is the reason why, because I can be a marketing vehicle for you. I can put your name on the race car. I can do these events for you. I can um, be the face of this brand and some initiative, do commercials, this and that. You can do all this stuff. You got to convince them that, hey, like where you would have spent this money, maybe you only get this amount of reach. Maybe you only get this amount of eyeballs really your way, but when you use it this way on me and racing, I'll be able to get you that much more and, and do more and, and, and bring your brand to life. So that's what I tell people when it comes to the sponsorship side. Um, you definitely need the funding to race. It's not free race. At the end of the day, people wonder, oh, why isn't this person racing for this person? Or why don't they just grab this driver? Why don't they do this? And then today, that team owner who owns that race team, that's a business. He, he owns a business. And it just so happens to be a fun one where you get to race, race cars. But it's still a business, and at the end of the day, for him to stay in business, he must have money coming in, and a lot, and more money coming in than the money going out. When you start seeing money go out, a lot more than money coming in, then that's what you call on your way to bankruptcy. So you don't <laughs> want to go bankrupt as a team owner. So you have to find a way to make sure the money's coming in. Sometimes you got to go with a driver who maybe has more sponsorship because that's how you keep your team, your business afloat. If you always go with the driver who doesn't bring any money to the table. Well, then all of a sudden you're spending more money than you're getting in. And then that just leads to, um, you know, just that a lot of teams go out of business because of that. And some people say, hey, well, maybe you just bring in this driver. Maybe he doesn't have any money, but he'll win a bunch of races and then he gets sponsors. Well, not every sponsor completely cares about winning the race. Sometimes they're trying to use the opportunity as a sponsor to do something else. So they're like, hey, um, yeah, I mean, if you won the race, that'd be great. I mean, we definitely get a lot of visibility, but we don't care about the visibility. We're not trying to sell our product or services to the regular, you know, to consumers. Maybe we're trying to sell to other businesses. So about you winning a race, that doesn't win us a contract with the government or a contract with this company or this and that. We just more need access to something else. And maybe we're going to spend our dollars on this because this person, like maybe we can bring them into a meeting and they're going to be our little nugget that we use to get this contract with whoever or something. I don't know. So everyone has their ways and the reasonings on why they want to sponsor and why they don't. But, but finding the sponsorship is huge. And if you can't find it or you have a very difficult time finding it, it doesn't mean that there's not money out there. There definitely still is money out there, but you got to go get it. 
And one way to go get it is put it on your entrepreneur hat, start your own business, start either selling some products, selling some service, doing whatever you got to do, start your own business and make the extra money yourself on the side. And, and maybe you can use that to sponsor yourself. I've done that myself. I have two businesses right now. They've helped sponsor some of my racing um, throughout my whole five years now. I've been racing not that long, <laughs> but they sponsored some of it. And then also I've gotten sponsors outside of that to, to help me too. So um, you just got to be creative. Think, think outside of the box. Don't just be limited to the old school thinking of, yeah, I'm just going to be a race car driver and someone's just going to sponsor me because I'm me or because I, I race or I win races or whatever. It just doesn't work like that as much anymore. So not to paraphrase, but the, there is a lot more than just playing the sport. There is a, a tremendous, and, and those who are successful have been successful both on the track as well as understanding off the business the component off the track. And I think that's, I'm sure every professional athlete out there would probably argue with me and say, well, we all have a business component. I, I don't know that other businesses, maybe golf a little bit, I, I don't know, but I don't know that the major sports, their athletes would would uh, would be able to say that they are, it is much as much about, competing in the business environment as it is uh, in the actual execution of, uh, of your sports, of your athletic uh, athlete duties. That's a, that's a, that's an impressive, uh, impressive feat. Uh, you mentioned your two companies. You want to put a quick plug in for them? Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of my businesses is called the red list group uh, the red list group. And I use that company to put on drag racing events. I put on events at um, different tracks uh, in Southern California, Phoenix and Dallas, Texas, and uh, people can bring their personal cars to the track and race them. Um, so you can just go to our website, theredlistgroup.com, and you can see where you can enter in to join our next race. Our next one's actually coming up here August 15th um, in uh, Bakersfield, California at Formosa Raceway. Um, and my other business is that I'm a trucking company with my brothers, and um, we basically haul a lot of Amazon goods. Um, that's, that's basically the majority of our business right now. But um, but then we had that going for about a year. Some change now. Are you one of the drivers? I'm not one of the drivers. I don't drive. Oh man, that that would be the fastest drivers in. (laughs) Yeah. Do you you train the drivers? Going like 200, and that's what. I don't train them. No, no. (laughs) Uh, See, that's that's why I'm not good. You don't want me training them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's my business. That's my that's my contribution to the business. I you come in and train them. Fastest delivery ever. ever. Forget about drones. We have we need to have NASCAR (laughs) drivers training our uh, to have the uh, the big brown trucks and uh, driving around. Um, yeah. Hey, uh, <laughs> so, um, hey, real quick, where can, uh, where can folks find you on the interweb? Um, they can go to my social media, just, uh, type in Jesse Iwuji. That's a J E S S E, uh, I W U J I. If they can't remember that, just go to Google and type in Navy NASCAR driver. That should be the only one that pops up for a few pages. So, uh, you can copy and paste my name on any social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, LinkedIn, you name it. I'm on all of them. Just type me in, follow me on there. If there are any messages or any questions, you can shoot a message to me and I will answer them. I usually answer myself within a day or two, depending on how many I get in. I get a lot of messages and I, and I run a lot of different social media pages. I think I have like 10. So um, they're not all about me. They're about other like constantly running stuff. <laughs> um, last thing. Uh, I know it's uh, here in coronavirus world, things are always up in the air, but uh, what's coming up next for you? What do we have uh, lined up in the, over the next few months where that folks can find you? Yeah. So, um, you know, our racing season is we still have about three or so months, three and a half months or so left in racing. So the goal is to race as many times as I can within that time. I don't run every race. I just run part-time, but 
run as many as possible. So I usually announce on my social media when I'm racing again. Um, usually we meet up the race. I don't put it out before that security reasons. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I do that usually. And then um, I should be doing some big stuff, some big TV stuff. You're seeing I haven't announced that yet. Way to finalize the contract stuff. But when I do, it will be on social media. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we're happy to uh, to put that out there when we uh, when we see it pop up. Hey, Jesse, thanks so much for your time, man. Thanks and, and thanks for your service. Thanks for uh, for representing the industry so well and representing the Navy well, man. We're, we really appreciate your time and uh, we wish you the best of luck. Awesome, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Green Castle Podcast. Please be sure to give us a like, a thumbs up, a share. You can find us at greencastleconsulting.com forward slash podcast or on all the major podcast channels and the social media channels, including our YouTube channel. Thanks very much. We'll see you on the next episode.